We're going to be in the book of Genesis, chapter 49. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. Um, so we're going to be in, like I said, in Genesis, chapter 49. I don't know if you all noticed or remember, but every message in the Advent series was taken from these four scriptures on the walls. I don't know if you all noticed that or remembered. But anyway, that's what they were taken from, you know, on the floor. Yeah, we hang those up every year during this time, and all the messages were taken from those scriptures on, on the uh, posters there. So... Um, it made it real easy for the elders to decide what to preach on. <laughs> we just said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right, good. All right, Genesis chapter 49. <laughs> I'm going to read you verses 8 through 10, but we're going to be focusing on verse 10. But we're going to start in verse 8. And it reads, Judah. Now, this is J- Jacob blessing his sons before he died. Um, Judah had 12, 12 sons, and this is him blessing his sons on his deathbed before he dies. And this is him blessing Judah. And it says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belong to him. All right, so this is Judah, uh, Jacob blessing Judah. And the first thing he says is, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Judah means praise. His name itself means praise. When his mother Leah uh, was given, had given birth to him, she said, I will now, she had given uh, birth to three sons prior. And they each, all, of the, all the sons' meaning had a name. Names had a meaning. And when it came to Judah, she said, I will now praise God because he's given me a son. So Judah's name mean, means praise. And Judah receives a positive blessing from his father. He receives qualities of leadership, and he's held in high esteem by his brothers. It says, your brothers will praise you. And we're going to look and see um, the consistency of this verse and how all of this came to pass throughout the scriptures. God was praised for Judah at his birth. Like I said, when Leah gave birth to him, she said, I praise God uh, for him. So therefore, I'm going to name him Judah, for Judah means praise. God was praised for him at his birth. God was praised by him in Psalm 76. Psalm 76 verse 1 says, um, our God is known in Judah. Our God is known in Judah, so he was praised by him. And then God was praised in him because Jesus descends from him, and we're going to see that um, uh, fleshed out as we go along. Um, and when, I, when you think about this, uh, Jacob's favorite son was Joseph. If you remember the story, he loved Joseph. That was his favorite son. He gave him a coat of many colors and all of that. So you would think that Joseph would have wanted to give this, this, this blessing to Joseph, but that wasn't God's plan. And so Joseph, Jacob didn't disobey God and, and decide to give this to Joseph, his favorite son, instead of Jacob, instead of Judah, rather. Um, but he gave it to Judah, who, who was the, rightly, uh, the, the right one. He was the first to get a positive prophecy from his father, too. The first three got negative prophecies from their dad, from their father. They were all negative. Judah is the first one to get a positive prophecy from his father. He was the first to speak to Joseph on behalf of his brothers in Genesis chapter 44 when they were in Egypt looking for food during the famine. Uh, uh, when Joseph was testing his brothers as to their faithfulness and he put um, a sack in, in the youngest brother Benjamin's bag and accused him of stealing it. And, and Judah was the first one to speak up on behalf of his brothers. So there's a lot of quote unquote first with Judah. He was the first one to get a positive prophecy. Um, he was the first one to speak on behalf of his brothers. He was the first to break down and, 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 and march and carry the Ark of the Covenant in Numbers chapter 10. 
It says the military divisions of the camp of Judah's descendants with their banner set out first. And I don't know if you've been in church, you ever hear the, the phrase, send Judah first. They were the first to go out and praise God, send Judah first, where it comes from, from this. The military divisions of the camp of Judah's descendants with their banner set out first, and, and Nashon, son of Aminadab, was over their divisions. So he was also the first to do that. Uh, uh, he was, Judah had the first judge in Israel. In Judges chapter 3, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and the Asherahs. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he sold them to king, and I can't say this name, Cushan. I'll just leave it to Cushan. <laughs> and the Israelites served him eight years. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, so the Lord raised up Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Now, when, in, 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 in uh, Numbers chapter 13, Caleb is from the tribe of Judah. So, and this is Caleb's nephew, Othniel. And this is the first judge. There was a, a series of judges in, in, in the Bible. Before the kings came, there was a, a, a series of judges. Othniel is the first one, and he's from the tribe of Judah. The first judge is from the, is from the tribe of Judah. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, so the Lord raised up Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, as a deliverer to save the Israelites. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he judged Israel. Othniel went out to battle, and the Lord handed over King Cush of Aram to him, so that Othniel overpowered him. Then the land had peace for 40 years, and Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So the first judge in Israel was from the tribe of Judah. So we see a lot of first with Judah in, in the Bible. So verses um, um, 8 talks about the first in, um, in, with Judah. Also, Judah had the largest population in the census. When they, when they counted the tribes in the book of Numbers, Judah's tribe was the largest. They had 74,600 people in their tribe. There was the largest tribe. So that's another thing that sticks out with Judah. There's a lot of things that just stick out with Judah because of this prophecy. So that was also one of them. He had the largest population in the census. Now, and then it says... Judah, verse 9, is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches, he lows down like a lion or a lioness who dares to rouse him. And this talks about, it symbolizes the strength of the tribal leaders of Judah. When you think about a lion, you think about strength, right? You know, because he says he's strong as a young lion who has eaten his prey, and then he's secure as a mature lion. And once a lion goes out and, 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 and gets their prey, and they devour their prey, and they eat them, and then they, they rest, they sit back, and, and, and that's what this symbolizes here. And nobody would go and arouse a lion. It says, uh, who dares to rouse him? The lion, once he's eaten his prey. Well, especially when he's hungry. You don't want to do that to a lion. So it talks about, this is symbolizing of Judah's strength. He's called a young lion. And it, and it, it speaks of a sense of expectation they ascribe to Judah. They expect certain things from Judah. They acknowledge Judah's preeminence, his courage, and his strength among all the other tribes. They, they look at Judah like that. Now, verse 10 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belong to him. All right. So the scepter. Now, what is a scepter? This is a picture of a scepter. And I'm, you probably have seen this before, but it's a, it's a ruler's staff, a king's staff, and it symbolizes uh, authority and power. It symbolizes kingship. And so a lot of kings, it, it back, especially back in those days, would have these scepters, and when they sat on their throne, the scepter would be, be between their feet. 
And it was a sense of, uh, it, it, it was a ruler staff, and it symbolizes his kingship and power. And we see this in the book of Esther. On the third day, Esther, who was married to the king, if you know the story of Esther, she was married to the king. They had a beauty pageant to pick who would be the next queen for, for the king, and Esther won the beauty, the, the beauty contest and became the, became the king's wife. On the third day, Esther, dressed in her royal clothing, and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. Now, she wants to go and, and ask the, the king something. Uh, to see, she's, God is using her to save her people. And so she has to go and confront the king. And you cannot confront the king just by, even though she was his wife, she could not just roll up on the king like anytime she wanted to. She had to get permission as well. Okay? So, and she's going to plead on behalf of her people, the Jews in front of the king. And on the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom. So the king is sitting on his throne in the courtroom. Um, it's interest. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, he saw her. She gained favor with him. So when he saw his beautiful wife standing out there, he starts smiling. She gained favor with him. All right? The king extended the golden scepter that we just looked at in his hand toward Esther. All right? And she approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So when he saw her, he, the king, when he extended the scepter, that, that gave you permission to approach. So when he saw Esther and he was pleased with her, he extended the scepter and she came and, and touching the tip of the scepter, she gave permission, she had permission to approach the king. And she approached him on behalf of her people. Um, and you know the story, she ended up saving uh, her Jewish people. So, but that is a biblical example of a scepter and the king and his authority and how he uses it. And we see that in the book of Esther. And it says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. So Judah has the scepter forever. It says it will never depart from him. His descendants... It says, the scepter will not depart from Sender or the staff from between his feet. And that's speaking about uh, procreation. The kings are going to come out of Judah's descendants. So we're going to look at the history of the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes. Okay, so his empire is prophesied in this verse here. And it starts with David. The empire of Judah is prophesied in this verse. The scepter will not, the kingship will not depart from Judah. All right? And so it's going to begin with David. David, Solomon, all the way, all the way up to Jesus, which is what we're going to see. Now, David, this, David, his kingdom doesn't start until 640 years after this prophecy. 640 years later is when David becomes king. Now let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, now listen, it says all the tribes of, of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, here we are, your own flesh and blood. Even while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led us out to battle and brought us back. Even when Saul was king, David was the one, he says, who led us out in battle and brought us back. The Lord also said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and be ruler of Israel. God said that to David. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron in the Lord's presence, and they anointed David king over Israel. 
All of Israel did that. Then it said in the prophecy, your brothers will bow down to you. And here they came to David and said, you are to be our king. Now, did they have the right guy is the question. Judah, okay, let me, let me read 2 Samuel chapter 7 first. Now, this is the prophecy. Uh, uh, Chris read this last week as well. Now, this is what you are to say to Moses. Now, this is David. I'm, I'm God prophesying about David's king, kingdom, his lineage, okay? Now, this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture and, and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. This is God speaking to David. This is what I said. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest in the land. I will establish a praise for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not afflict them as they have done. Ever since today, I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, David, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, when you die, David, I will raise up after you your descendant, all right, singular descendant, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, this ultimately is talking about Jesus Christ, all right? I think Chris pointed that out last week. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a human rod and with blows from others. Now, that can't be talking about Jesus. That's talking about Solomon. So there's an immediate fulfillment, and then there's an ultimate fulfillment. The immediate fulfillment is Solomon. The ultimate fulfillment is Jesus Christ. Okay, remember that. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a human rod and with blows from his from, his, from others. But my faithful love will never leave him as I removed it from Saul. I removed him from your way. I got Saul out of your way. Your house and kingdom will endure before me. How long? Forever. That's what he promised. The, the scepter will not depart from Judah ever. And your throne will be established forever. Nathan spoke all these words and this entire vision to David. All right. Okay. So Judah. Now, how do we know that they had the right guy? Judah. Let me say this. Judah grew strong and became a conquering lion through David. Like I said. Now, this, this is 640 years later after this prophecy. But how do we know that David's from the tribe of Judah? First Chronicles chapter 28. All right. Now we're just following this prophecy out through Scripture. That's all we're doing. David assembled all the leaders of Israel in Jerusalem. All of them. The leaders of the tribes, the leaders of the divisions in the king's service, the commanders of the thousands and the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and cattle of the king and his sons. Along with the court officials, the fighting men, and all the brave warriors. All these warriors in David's army. Then King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my brothers and my people. I got something to say. It was in my heart to build a house as a resting place for the ark of the Lord's covenant and as a footstool for our God. David wanted to build the temple. It was his idea. And God said, no. He said, that was my idea. He said, I wanted to do that. He said, I had made preparations to build. I even made preparations to do that. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. David, I appreciate the offer, but you didn't kill too many folks. (laughs) 
too much blood on your hands, David. That's basically what he was saying. He said, yeah, I understand your heart's right, that's good, but you're not going to be the one to do it. He said, yet the Lord God of Israel chose me out of all my father's household to be king over Israel forever. Out of everybody, out of all my brothers. And we know the story when Jesse presented all his brothers before, before Samuel, and, and he thought for sure it was one of them. And, and Samuel was like, okay, this is it. Ain't nothing, God ain't saying yes to none of these. You got any more kids? He said, yeah, it is like my youngest son, David. He's out, you know, tending the sheep, you know. And Samuel said, go get him. Okay, we're not going to go any further until you go get him. As soon as David entered, Samuel said, okay, that's the one. All right. So God chose me out of all the ones that everybody else would have chosen. God chose me. For he chose Judah as leader. And from the house of Judah, my father's household, and from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over Israel. So David's from the tribe of Judah. Jesse was from the tribe of Judah, David's dad. And out of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. He said, I got a whole bunch of kids, a whole bunch of sons. But out of all my sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the Lord's kingdom over Israel. He said to me, your son Solomon is the one who is to build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he perseveres in keeping my commands and my ordinances as he is today. So, so this is the prophecy about, uh, ultimately about the Messiah, but it's in line with God. Said. See, see when you, if you remember, the children of Israel chose Saul as their king. Anybody know what tribe Saul was from? Benjamin. He wasn't from the tribe of Judah. So obviously they didn't even consider that prophecy about Judah. They just wanted a king. They said, we want a king like other nations. We just want to be like everybody else. And sometimes we just want to be like everybody else. Even as Christians, I don't want to be different. I just want to be like everybody else. I just want to have what everybody else got. And if you know the story, it led to disaster. Saul was a horrible king. And see, and see, the thing is, God gave him the king they wanted. God gave him, and God said, Saul, God told Samuel, he said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Because I'm their king. Basically, they were saying, God, we don't want you as king. We want, a, we want an earthly king like everybody else. And Saul said, and God said, okay, all right, that's what you want. I'll give you what you want. And, and the thing is, every time I read this, and God told him what kind of king they were going to get. God told him what he was going to do. He's, he's going to take your sons and your daughters and your, he's going to take all your cattle he's going to, and, and for himself. God told him, this is the kind of king you're going to get if this is what you want. And they said, we still want him. <laughs> and he did exactly what God said he was going to do. He was a horrible king. First of all, from the wrong tribe. And then it wasn't time for them to have that king, to have a king. So don't ever want what God doesn't want for you, whatever that is. Don't ever try to make it fit. A lot of times you try to make it fit. This ain't what God wanted, but I'm going to try to make this fit because this is what I want. We try to help God out like Sarah did, you know, and just, just create a whole mess. And that's usually what happens when we try to help God out. God doesn't need help, folks. No, it's, it's a newsflash. God doesn't need any help with anything, <laughs> especially from sinful creatures like us. <laughs> okay, all right. 
the people chose the wrong guy. All right, now, uh, where am I at? Where am I at? Okay, all right. Um, now, David is king. Now, the kingdom, there was a time when the kingdom was split, okay, in Israel. Um, the background of the story of these verses is that Solomon had died. His son Rehoboam became king, not a good king. You know, him and another guy, Jeroboam, were in battle over, over the kingship. Um, the people, half the people wanted Jeroboam and half the people wanted Rehoboam. All right. So and and there became a point where the kingdom was split because of that. All right. When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they summoned him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Okay, he was he was in Egypt because he had escaped from Solomon. But when Solomon died, he returned and they made him king over Israel. All right. No one followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah. None of them followed the house of David, except the tribe of Judah alone. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mobilized 180,000 choice warriors from the entire house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin to fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. They're trying to restore it back to its rightful place. All right? Um, And that that caused a problem. There was, a, there was a split down the middle. There was uh, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel under Jeroboam, and the southern kingdom was called Judah under Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And, and, the, and the tribe of Benjamin was split between the two. Half of Benjamin was in the northern kingdom, and half of Benjamin was in the southern kingdom. But you noticed the name of the southern kingdom was Judah. The name Jew comes from Judah. They're called Jews. After the, after, after the exile, they just named all, all uh, Israelites Jewish people, and they just called them Judah, from the tribe of Judah. So the, the kingdom was split as a result of a division. And there was a fight in God's kingdom between these two individuals, and they split. Uh, it says, back to, I'm sorry, here's what I want. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes. What does that mean? He whose right it is comes. Um, the word is Shiloh, and it means tribute or the sent seed or the prosperous one. Until he whose right it is comes. So this scepter is going to remain in Judah through physical kings until he whose right it is comes. Now this is talking about Jesus Christ whose right it is to rule. He whose right it is comes. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the flow of that. The book of Jeremiah, the prophets prophesied about this, about this king. The prophets knew that. Jeremiah says in chapter 23, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a righteous branch of David. A righteous branch of David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. This is a prophecy about Jesus. He said, I will raise up a righteous branch of David. Jesus, a lot in the Old Testament, is referred to as the son of David because he came from the line of the, the lineage of David. We just saw David uh, is from the tribe of Judah. 
He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will draw securely. This is what he will be named, Yahweh our righteousness. Mm. He is our righteousness. Yahweh, the Lord, our righteousness. The days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the land of the north and from all the other countries where I banished them. I'm going to bring them all back. They will draw once more in their own land. God is going to gather all his people from the, one scripture says, from the four corners of the earth. But it's going to begin with this righteous branch. Ezekiel chapter 21. Thus says the Lord God. Now, this is God's judgment on the kings, the judges, the kings in Israel. Um, in, in, this, in this section of the book of Ezekiel. So we're in the middle of God's uh, the declaration of judgment. He says, thus says the Lord God, remove the turban and take off the crown. In other words, take the crown off of that, that, that king. Remove it. Things shall not remain as they are. Exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. A ruin, ruin, ruin I will make it. This also shall not be, listen, until, he's, he, until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. Who is that? Jesus. He says, remove the crown. He says, a ruin, a ruin I will make it. This also shall not be until he comes, the Messiah, the one to whom judgment belongs. All judgment belongs to him. Jesus said, God has given judgment to me. I'm, I'm, I'm the judge. And I will give it to him. So we see this in the Old Testament. This is not just something, this, the prophets knew this. They prophesied about this. Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Now, in the book of Matthew, um, it's not up there, but in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus, it says, and Abraham gave birth to Isaac, and Isaac gave birth to, to Jacob, and it says, and Jacob gave birth to Judah and his brothers. That's how it's termed in the Bible. It says Judah and his brothers. Reuben was the firstborn. He was the oldest. Why didn't it say Reuben and his brothers? Or why didn't it say Jacob and his 12 sons? It says Judah and his brothers. Why? Because it's making a, a link between Judah and Jesus. Now, it says from Abraham to David is 14 generations. Then it gives David's uh, lineage and genealogy. Then it says Solomon, from Solomon to the Babylonian exile. Is 14 generations. And then from the Babylonian exile to Jesus is 14 generations. So it starts with Abraham and it mentions Judah by name. And then it says, um, and, 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 and Mary gave birth to Jesus, the Messiah. You see the connection. It mentions Judah, Judah on purpose to make the connection between this prophecy in Genesis 49 and the Messiah coming through the tribe of Judah. That's why I said Judah and his brothers and not just the 12 tribes of Israel. The Bible's precise. And okay, now, after that, here, in Matthew chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, very timely verse for this month of the, this time of year. <laughs> after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying... 
Where is he who has been born, what? King of the Jews. It says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Not voted. Who's born king of the Jews? He was born the king. He didn't become king. He says, where is he who, was, who had been born king? See, the wise men from the east. They were wise. They knew. Okay, this, this, is, this is the king from the door. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Not voted king of the Jews. He's not going to become king when he turns 16. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? And look at what he says. For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. <laughs> I want to worship this baby. Where is this baby that we can come and worship him? See, we don't wait till, till Jesus grows up to worship him. He's born worthy of worship. Because of who he is. Can you imagine in front of a manger and just on your knees in front of a cradle? And people looking at you like, what is he doing? Wise men knew. Jesus was born king. He didn't become king. He wasn't voted king. The Bible says the government shall be upon his shoulders. <laughs> Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. All right. Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. All right. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angels heard her, told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Wow. Ooh, somebody Listen, you got favor with God. What else do you need? He said, you found favor with God. Now listen, since you found favor, listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. I'm just showing you the consistency in scripture. The throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. Just like the prophecy said. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. No end. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so we see in the early stages of, of, of Jesus' life, he was already declared king. And we see the lineage in Matthew and Luke, from Abraham to David, from Solomon to Babylonian exile, from exile to Jesus. 42 generations. We see that. So the Bible has been consistent so far. All right, now let's look a little further after Jesus' uh, death, resurrection. Let's look at the book of Hebrews. Now, this is talking about the Levitical priesthood. Paul is in the middle of a conversation here. There was too much to read. This is a whole message in itself. So we're in the middle of Paul talking about the Levitical, the Levitical priesthood, okay? All right. If then perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, 
for under it, the people received the law. So the Levites were the priests, and they were the ones who taught the law to the people. The Levites, one of, one of Jacob's sons, Levi. They were called the Levites. They were, all the priests came out of Levi, not Judah. Okay, all the priests came out of Levi. If then perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear? Okay, if people could get saved through the Levitical system, why was there a need for another priest? What further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron? Now, who's Melchizedek? Okay. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. Okay, now, in Psalm 110, Old Testament, the Bible says this about Jesus. This is a prophecy. This is the the declaration of the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter. There it is again from Zion. Your kingship, your scepter from Zion. Rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer on your day of battle. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. Listen, forever you are a priest like Melchizedek. Okay? In Genesis chapter 14, after Abraham comes from a battle, Melchizedek meets him. This, this quote-unquote mysterious strange figure named Melchizedek meets him um, after the battle. Gives him communion pretty much. Bread and wine, the Bible says. Okay? Um, and he blesses Abraham. Okay, now, uh, the Bible says of Melchizedek, he had no beginning, no end. He was mysterious. Nobody knew where he came from. Um, and so he was this mysterious figure, but he was a priest. His name, um, King of Righteousness, King of Salem, which means King of Peace. All right? He was a priest for, forever, the Bible says, after Jesus. This, priest, this prophecy says you will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron. Okay, so let's go back to, to Hebrews. For when there is a change of the priesthood from the Levitical priesthood to Melchizedek, there must be a change of law as well. For the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. Talking about Jesus. Okay. No one from it has served at the altar. Nobody from the tribe of Judah served at the altar. They weren't supposed to. That wasn't their job. Now, it is evident that our Lord came from where? Judah. And Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. Moses didn't say nothing about uh, the tribe of Judah serving in the priesthood. That wasn't their job. The Levites were the priests. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears who did not become a priest based on a legal command concerning physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. Okay, all right, what does that mean? So Jesus came after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron. Jesus came and he brought the two, the two um, roles together, king and priest. He brought them together. 
See, the Levitical priesthood was repetitious in that whenever a, a priest died, one had to replace him. So they needed a priest who would live forever to intercede for them. The Bible says Jesus sits on the right hand of God forever to make intercession for the saints. Forever. Because of who he is. He fulfilled that role and brought the two offices together, priest and king. That's what Psalm 110 is about, what we just read. Christ's priesthood supersedes the old Levitical system. That's why he said in a... a um, for when there's a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. So since it was a new priesthood and, and, and Jesus fulfilled that, the old system is obsolete now. The old Levitical system is obsolete. I don't need that anymore. We don't live under the law anymore. So we don't, that's why we don't go to priests anymore. Sorry, Catholics. We don't go to priests anymore. <laughs> Jesus is our high priest, the Bible says in Hebrews. For we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The old system. This is a, the Bible says, and in, in, in also in Hebrews, that the new covenant is a better covenant. And I would agree with that. <laughs> the new covenant is a better covenant than the old system. Jesus said, you don't take uh, new wine and put it in old bottles. Old wineskins. He said, you don't do that. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. That's what Jesus came to do. As Savior, new high priest, fulfills the law in every, in every aspect. So Christ's priesthood supersedes the old Levitical system. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it's evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears. Listen, who did not become a priest based on a legal command concerning physical descent. Not because he was a Levite. He wasn't. He was not. It was not based on his lineage as a Levite. He says, but based on the power of an indestructible life. Wow. See, the old, the old uh, priests in the Old Testament didn't have that indestructible life. They had to offer up um, offerings for their own sins before they went into, into the Holy of Holies. They had to offer up a sacrifice for their own sins first. But the Bible says Jesus went into heaven itself. Whew, Jesus, and offered himself. Ah, the old priest couldn't do that. Jesus went before the Father himself and said, oh, Father, I offer up my sacrifice for your people. Whew, hallelujah. That's a better covenant than the old covenant. Well, you got to go year after year after year after year. Whew. Christ obtained priesthood by way of his deity as the son of God. His eternality. Therefore, his priesthood cannot end. He forever lives to make intercession for y'all. Forever. Jesus is praying for y'all. We always ask people to pray for us, and that's awesome. That's great. But listen, if you want anybody to pray for you, if nobody else prays for you, if they all refuse to pray for you, Jesus forever lives to make intercession for the saints. 
And he, told, he said, when, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed before that. And he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. He said, because you always hear me. <laughs> so when Jesus is praying for you, guess who's listening? God always hears him. And he always prays according to God's will. And you always want Jesus to pray for you because he knows what's best for you and me. He's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Because of his indestructible life, his eternality, his perfect sacrifice on the cross. All right, I got five minutes. Revelation chapter 5. Now, we read this earlier, but I'm going to read it some more. I'm going to read even, even a little bit further. Now, all throughout Old Testament, New Testament, we see the same thing. Judah, that prophecy about Judah is, is fulfilled. All in the Old Testament, New Testament, we just read it all. Now, here's the end of all things. The book of Revelation, where it's over. All right? Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who is worthy? The, seals, the scrolls represent God's purposes for history. That's what those, 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 uh, um, the scroll represents. Nobody's worthy to open it. He says, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. Not only were they not able to open it, you can't even look in it. He said, nobody in heaven or on earth, or under the earth. That covers everywhere. Nobody was found worthy to open the seals, to open the scrolls, to render the judgment, that's, that's, that's what it's talking about, to render the judgment that God has, has uh, declared. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. He said, I just cried because nobody's, nobody can open this? Then one of the elders said to me, stop crying. <laughs> look, exclamation point. <laughs> he said, stop crying, son. The lion from the tribe of Judah the root of David. <laughs> the Bible's so consistent. <laughs> it's just so consistent. The lion from the tribe of Levi, from the tribe of Simeon, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Judah. Go back to Genesis 49. The scepter shall never depart from between Judah's feet. The line from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the son of David, Israel's greatest king, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. He said he's been victorious. He conquered Death, hell, and the grave. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne of the four living creatures and among the elders. Okay, first of all, he sees a lion. He says, a lion from the tribe of Judah. Then here he says, then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. What's up with that? 
standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated. Give me that. This slaughtered lamb. Who's the lamb? He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. All y'all's prayers. (laughs) And they sang a new song. Not an old song. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Why is he worthy? Because you were slaughtered. They saw a slaughtered lamb, remember? Because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood. Let's stop right there. (laughs) See, you redeemed people for God by your blood. To redeem means to buy back something that was once yours. See, Adam and Eve sold it in the garden. But Jesus redeemed us. He bought us back. He said, for you redeem people for God by your blood from, listen, every tribe and language and people and nation. Everybody can be saved. Every tribe, every language, every people and every nation, every continent, Asia, Africa, Europe, everywhere. God has got people everywhere. Every nation, every country, every ethnicity, every race. He said, you redeemed all of it from all over those places. He says, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and a priest to our God. That's who we are. A kingdom and a priest to our God. And they will reign on the earth. Wow. All of this is from the tribe of Judah from Genesis 49. God maintained, he fulfilled his word throughout all of history. And at the end of it all, the lion from the tribe of Judah. So, as we, I'm done. As we, as we celebrate communion, uh, let us remember, not just this prophecy, but who the prophecy points to. We are in the Christmas season, one of my favorite times of year, where we celebrate the birth. We, we celebrate this prophecy being fulfilled in Genesis 49. That's what, we're, that's what it boils down to, this prophecy being fulfilled. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, come to redeem us from our sins. And we have many sins. But the lion from the tribe of Judah, our great high priest, who sacrificed himself and then presented himself before the Father as our high priest. He said, Father, I paid for their sins. I'm the sacrifice. No more physical lambs. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John said said in in John chapter 1. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's from the tribe of Judah. So we celebrate, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to celebrate that with communion.